happy Sunday. Glad that you're with us today at Life Center. Anybody thankful it's going to hit almost 60 degrees today? Yeah. Well, don't worry. Winter's not over yet. But uh, man, that's, that's crazy. I got out of the car this morning. I was like, man, feels like Arizona around here. Not, not quite. Not quite, but glad that you're with us today. I do just want to emphasize, I would, I would encourage you, and I want to personally invite you, don't miss next weekend as we come together for Vision Night. All of our campuses and locations are coming together next Sunday night right here. We're going to celebrate some of the things that God has done in the year behind us, but really, this is a time for us to focus on where is God calling us next throughout this next year, but also the next number of years. And so we're going to be talking about the vision that God is giving us as a church community and how we all play a part in that journey. Today we're going to continue on in this series that we started a few weeks ago in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. Anybody ready for that today? We're going to continue on Revelation chapter 2. We're going to go there in just a moment, so if you have your Bibles, you can get those ready. For those who maybe missed the last couple of weeks, uh, maybe you hear that statement, hey, we're journeying through the first part of Revelation. Uh, some of us, we get excited. Others of us, we get a little bit nervous. I know I've had conversation with people over the last few weeks, some of which they've shared with me, Tyler, I grew up being afraid of that book. I never wanted to go near it. But now I see that God actually wants to speak to me through it. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's the hope. That's the goal. And Here's where we're kind of focused in this series that we're in. Jesus has something to say to his church. And so we're looking at the message that Jesus gives in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 to seven specific churches. They resided in seven very real cities. They're facing very real circumstances. And although it was real then in the first century in 95 A.D., Here's what I love, it continues to speak to us today. And so as much as Jesus wanted to say something to his church in the first century, I'm convinced of this, Jesus wants to speak to us today as well. So I hope you're taking notes. We're gonna continue on in this journey. And if you're writing some notes down, I'd love for you to write this title, Prepped for Problems. Prepped for Problems. Now, you might hear that title and say, man, why did I come to church today? <laughs> but I want to begin by asking us a question that, that I want us to take a moment, reflect on, and consider. What defines a successful church? If you were to answer that question, if you were to write down your list of, this is what makes a church successful, what what defines a successful church? Many of us, we would say things like this. Well, attendance, because if nobody shows up, the church is dead. Can I get an amen, right? So, so attendance matters. Some of us, we think attendance. Some of us, we, we would say, well, numbers. Numbers in, in giving, numbers in going. Some of us, we might answer programs. Specifically, programs that I'm looking for, programs that I want for me and my family. That's what makes a successful church. Most of us growing up in the West, in America, we'd probably answer something to the effect of notoriety. 
The, the church, a successful church, will be known. It, it'll, it'll have some notoriety. There will be a certain level of, of awareness or fame. Some of us, we might say, a successful church is a church where all the people are happy. How many of you have ever been to that church? If you have, let me know, because uh, they don't exist, right? The church is full of people, and we all have perspectives of things we want and things that we should have, and, and it's this collision of community, different backgrounds, different perspectives, different generations, different nationalities, all working together in the shared mission. It's, it's one thing for us to think about that question, what makes a successful church, but I don't know about you, I know for me, I want to know what Jesus would say to that question. If we were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what makes a successful church? I wonder how many of our answers would match up with Jesus' answers. Because I think Jesus would reply maybe in ways that we could expect, but maybe didn't come to our mind instantly. I think if we were to ask Jesus, he would say, a successful church is a church that's faithful. A successful church is a church that's fruitful. A successful church is a church that endures, even in the midst of challenges, in the hard seasons, not just the good seasons. What about this? I think Jesus would say a successful church is a church that's prepared. Prepared. Prepared for what? Well, well here's something that I know we all are aware of at a certain level. And it's true physically, but it's also true for us spiritually, and it's true for us as a church community. And what is that? Chasing only comfort leads to atrophy. If we commit to only chase comfort in life, it only leads to atrophy. Think with me for a moment. Come on, how many of you, you have a favorite chair at home? Where are you at? Some of you, you own a lazy boy, right? Yeah. And, and as much as that chair is, is comfortable, if you spend every hour of every day in that chair, will you get stronger or weaker? Yeah. Yeah. Tyler, it doesn't matter. I feel good. The chair is comfortable. That's the point. Well, the challenge is as nice as that chair might be, if you spend all of your time and effort to remain in that comfortable place, you will not grow stronger. You will grow weaker. Chasing only comfort leads to atrophy. And as much as that's true physically, understand the same is true spiritually. And so let me ask Life Center today, what is your faith preparing you for? See, I think there's a lot of moments in my life that I've looked back and I've realized I've spent a lot of my energy preparing just for peacetime and not any challenges. And when the challenges come up, I, I find myself surprised, like, this shouldn't have happened. And yet Jesus, here's the good news, he wants to prepare his church. He wants to have us walk through life prepared for each and every moment. So what is your faith preparing you for? A number of years ago, some of my friends, some of my brothers here at Life Center, we were all cyclists. We got together and we decided that we were going to do a certain bike ride that takes place 
here in the Northwest every year. It's called the Seattle to Portland bike ride. Come on, how many of you have ever done the STP? All right, there's like three of us. Awesome. We got together, and this was going to be my second time doing this ride. The first time I did it in two days, and we got together, and we talked about this year we are going to do it in one day. And I remember thinking as, as we were talking about this a number of years ago, we are going to get on bicycles and we are going to ride from the University of Washington. We're going to leave UW while it's still dark out. We will ride 205 miles with our legs all the way into downtown Portland. And we're going to do that in one day? My friends were like, yep. And so what do we do? We, we set out a training plan and we began to go on training rides and, and we were preparing. Why? We had to get ready for a very long ride. In fact, we had to prepare ourselves for 11 hours on a bike seat. Come on, there was moments in those 11 hours that I wish I was sitting in the lazy boy, not on the bike seat. Can I get an amen? And yet we had to, we had to prepare for the long ride. But, but here's what I want us to understand. A long ride was going to happen regardless. That wasn't the only preparation we needed. You see, if we prepare for the long ride, but we also didn't prepare for problems, we would get into trouble. See, we actually had to prepare for changing some flat tires. And guess what? We had some flat tires on the, on the ride. We had to prepare for what it feels like when you get a headache or when Tyler gets a low blood sugar. We had to prepare for all of these things in order to accomplish what we set out to do. And here's the good news. When you prepare for problems, something amazing happens. When they show up, you're not surprised. Why? because I prepared for it. Now, every now and then I tell that story about that day, that long ride from Seattle to Portland, and here's the part that some people find absolutely crazy. We actually paid to do that. It's not like we were being paid, hey, if you, if you train, if you press, we're going to give you a sum of money to ride from Seattle to Portland. No, we gave them a sum of money to ride from Seattle to Portland. People are like, Tyler, you are crazy. You're paying for pain? We actually paid for pain. See, some of us, we get that when it comes to some things, Right? Because we understand preparation and pain often can go hand in hand in life. Come on, how many of you, you belong to a gym? There's like 16 people. All right. So my CrossFit friends are over here. And people look at me and they're like, you guys pay for pain. Why? It's because of what the pain produces. You're preparing something in Yourself and Jesus wants a church that is prepared. See, we understand this when it comes to, to working out or, or different areas of our lives. Come on, there's some, maybe it's not the gym, but, but we will go through the pain of, of getting all beautified. I know, I know you're here today. Come on, 
Like, even though there's no wrinkles, there's some stuff in there to help those wrinkles not exist. We, I love you. We, we pay for pain at times because of what it produces, but when it shows up spiritually, sometimes we're caught off guard. How many of us, we've ever walked through a challenging season, even when we're being faithful to Jesus, and we're like, hold on, Jesus, this is supposed to be easy, this is not easy, I'm out. I'm done. I didn't sign up for for this. See, in Revelation 2, we're going to look at the next church that Jesus has something to say to. It's a church in the city of Smyrna. And here's what we're going to discover. This, This city, 35 miles north of the city we talked about last week, the city of Ephesus, Smyrna kind of prided itself to be the the first city to embrace the Roman Empire in Asia. They they called themselves the first in Asia. Not only that, at one point the city had been destroyed and then it was rebuilt. So they kind of bragged about being first, but then they also bragged about, hey, we were once destroyed, but now we're back. I want you to hang on to that as we look at the words that Jesus says to this group of Jesus followers about who he is in the environment in which they live. See, much like Ephesus, Smyrna was filled with areas, centers of false worship, pagan worship, worship to Caesar, the the imperial cult. All of this stuff is going on in this city that we call Smyrna. Look with me to Revelation chapter 2. I want to start in verse 8. It says this, Write to the angel, the messenger of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last. Oh, I love that. Smyrna, you might have been the first in Asia, but guess what? The one who's talking right now is the first and the last. In other words, I'm eternal and I will have the final say. Thus says the one who's the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are actually a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear Listen. Can you say listen? Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Of the seven churches that John is sharing Jesus' message to, Smyrna is only one of two churches that doesn't receive any correction. Did you notice that? Jesus doesn't say, hey, you need to get your act together in this area. Actually, all Jesus mentions is their strengths. There's no actual weaknesses going on. But if we stop for a moment and consider again what Jesus just highlighted, I think many of us, it sounds like weaknesses. Look at what Jesus says. I know your affliction, your poverty. People are slandering you. 
A moment ago when I asked, what makes a successful church? Come on, how many of us, we had affliction, poverty, slander on the list? Probably not. And yet for whatever reason, Jesus, in the midst of this journey that they're going through, Jesus says something shocking. Even though you're facing all of this, you're rich. There's a wealth going on that, that resides inside of you. What I love is that Jesus, he's, he's preparing them. He, he says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. And then he gives them hope. He says, it's only going to last 10 days. Now, that 10-day statement is symbolic. It's not a specific measure of days. It's a symbolic measure of days. It goes back to the book of Daniel. So again, John is drawing forward some Old Testament reality into the first century dynamic that they are walking through. You're going to face this. And here's what 10 days means. It's a set time. In other words, your suffering, the trial that you walk through will not last forever. Isn't that good news? When you face a trial, a challenge, Life Center, here's some good news for us. It will not last forever. And that's what builds us hope in the midst of this journey of life, that, that the challenges that we face, that the trials that we face. And to me, I, I think it's significant that Smyrna, as Jesus is speaking to this church, Smyrna, the word means myrrh. Myrrh was a plant that when crushed, it gives off a beautiful fragrance. I don't think that's coincidental. Because Jesus here is reminding his church in a city which name means myrrh, that they too are going to experience a, a crushing, but maybe it's through that crushing that the fragrance of Christ is going to be spread. And that his goodness and his faithfulness is going to be put on display, even in the midst of challenge. One thing else that I want to highlight before we move any further. Here Jesus reminds the people that they're facing some challenges and some slander. And Jesus says these words in verse 9, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. It's important for us to understand what's going on here in this text because unfortunately, throughout the centuries, scriptures like this and others have been utilized to elevate anti-Semitism. And that's not what's going on here. Jesus is actually reminding his church there are some, even if they are physical descendants of Abraham, they are not spiritual descendants of Abraham. And Jesus is getting after a specific type of person, though they might be a physical descendant of Abraham, they're actually partnered with the work of the devil to bring about destruction against God's people and God's plan. You see, there's no room in the Christian mindset for anti-Semitism. Here's why. By faith, we are grafted in to the faith of Abraham. We are recipients of the promise and the covenant that God made to Abraham. And so we need to understand the context of what Jesus is up to and what he's saying, that there are some, even though they might have the physical reality, they are not in alignment with me and my plan and my purpose to bring about fulfillment of blessing that I promised in and through Abraham. See, the church in Smyrna, they, they needed to hear some words from Jesus. And what were the words they needed to hear? Stay strong in times of testing. 
And man, what a word for us today. Life Center, stay strong in times of testing. You see, none of us want to assume that, that problems, that trials, that challenges or tests might be in front of us. Come on, I, when, when they show up, maybe you're a little bit like me. My prayer sounds a lot like this. God, get me out of here. How many of you, you've prayed a prayer like that at some point in the last year? God, this is not fun. God, get me out. But what do we do when Jesus actually allows us to walk through the test? You see, if we make the assumption that that there's no challenges for the follower of Jesus, that life should always be easy, that, that I don't need to be prepared for anything but peacetime reality. You see, if that's our mindset, then when a problem shows up, we begin to lose our bearings. I wasn't planning for this. Life wasn't supposed to be like this. Jesus, what's going on? You're not living up to your end of the bargain. I said yes to you, and you were supposed to make everything easy for me. But no, understand, Jesus wants to prepare his church. He wants us to be prepped. Can you say prepped? In fact, consider his words, John 16, verse 33. Jesus says this, I've told you these things so that in me, can you say in me? In me, you may have peace. Don't miss this. Jesus wanted the church, his disciples, to be prepped so that we would find our source of peace, not in our circumstances, not what's going on in our nation, not what's going on in our physical health, but that we would find our peace in him. And he goes on to say this, you will have suffering in this world. Some of us, we open that up, we go, what does a different translation say? I don't like that. But Jesus reminds us, he, he prepped us. In this world, you will have trials. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be battles. In this world, you will have trials. Be courageous. How can I face a trial with courage? Because he's already overcome. Jesus said, I have conquered the world. So when you step into a test, when, when that moment shows up in your life, we don't have to be caught off guard. We don't have to scratch our heads going, God, I don't know how you can still be good when life doesn't feel good like this. No, instead, we can live with this awareness. Jesus, you've prepped me for this. And I'm going to stand faithful. A number of years ago, there was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a theologian, a philosopher, an author. He was ultimately martyred for his faith. But the height of World War II Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw the deficit in the German church. And he saw the, the, the toxic nature of what the Nazi party was doing to the culture and even infiltrating the church. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer decided to start a seminary and his methods were called into question. He was, he was often questioned and condemned for, for how strict of a discipleship process 
he was engaging in. In fact, one gentleman showed up one day to ask him some questions of why he chose such a hard and intense approach to discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer took this man on a walk up a hillside and he looked down at the seminary and then he pointed in the direction off in the distance where Hitler had one of his Nazi training camps to prepare young men to become Nazi soldiers. And he looked at the man and he said, you wonder why I take such a strict approach? He simply said this, this must be stronger than that. And Life Center, I'm here to remind us today that this must be stronger than that. This, what, what God is doing in our midst, what Jesus wants to develop inside of you, it has to be stronger than the challenge that you face next Thursday. It's got to be stronger than the, the lies of the world around us. There's got to be a depth. This must be stronger than that. The church, the body of Christ, we must be prepared for challenges. Why? Because challenges come and challenges go. Tyler, are you, are you preaching doom and gloom that the world's going to end next year? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we just, we got to live life in such a way that we're not caught off guard when hardship comes. Trials will happen. Affliction will happen. Good times will happen. Challenging times will happen. Now hear me clearly. We don't pray for them to come. I'm not praying going, oh, Lord, please, would you send some trials? I'm praying, God, protect us, but, but protect us in the midst of them as well. You see, if you're anything like me, a lot of times I pray more often for things to change than I do for the strength to endure. What about you? See, here's some good news for us. In every problem that we face, the promise of Jesus' faithfulness remains. How do we, how do we face challenge with hope? How do, we, how do we hang on in the midst of the unexpected circumstances of life that really should be expected? We hang on and we come back to this point. In every problem that I face, Jesus has given me a promise. And what is that? He is and will be faithful. Jesus promises faithfulness to Smyrna. And he promises his faithfulness to us today. Listen, friends, the promise of Jesus, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come that with this idea that following him is going to be easy and following him is going to be cheap. In fact, he says, following me, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. And often I'm, I'm much more comfortable in saying, well, Jesus, you already did that, so I don't need to, Right? No, he invites each of us to, to take up a cross, to follow him. And I know at, at times in our, in our Western context, especially in our American ideals, no, 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 Tyler, a successful church, is, it's bigger, it's, it's better, it's, it's expanding, and, and we pray for all of those things. We want to see the kingdom continue to increase, but we should not be caught off guard, friends, when there's challenges. See, I learned a long time ago, even though following Jesus is not cheap and it's not easy, it's always worth it. Because the safest place to be in this world is in the grip of his grace. 
It's actually safer in the grip of his grace in the midst of a trial than it is in a peaceful place outside of his grip. See, the safest place to be. And what we need to be reminded of today is, as hard as it is to look at Scripture like this, we have to be reminded that strength comes through preparation. Just because something challenges you doesn't mean it's bad. Just because something challenges you doesn't make it unsafe. See, I I was reflecting on this thought. It kind of made me stop and, and consider in my own life, but I wanted to share it with us this weekend. Do we actually want God to remove all the weights from the weight room? Sometimes I, I pray like that. Like, God, get rid of all the weights. I just want to walk into the weight room and have some nice music playing. And just something cool to drink, you know. And God's like, no, no, no. There's some stuff here that's going to make you stronger. Don't avoid the pain. Why? Because sometimes it's the pain that's preparation for a new breakthrough in your life. So don't, don't. Avoid it. Trust me in it. Trust me through it. So with that in mind, there's, there's a few things that Jesus encourages the church at Smyrna with that I think are encouragements for us today. Take a note. I'd love for you to write this down. Number one, you have the treasure of Christ. You have the treasure of Christ. Instead of holding on to that idea of just like a, a theological thought somewhere in your databank, Jesus actually looks at the church in Smyrna and he, he says this, I know your affliction and your poverty, but you are rich. Now from the outside, from all of their peers, all of their neighbors, they look pathetic. They're facing challenge. They're broke. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, 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 you don't, you don't see what I see. I'm the one who walks among the church. You are rich. Do we understand, not in the material sense, not in the physical sense, not in the stuff that's going to perish, but in a very real way. If you have Christ Jesus, you have the wealth of all eternity locked up inside of you. Imagine when you're walking through the low point of your day and you are reminded who you belong to. I belong to the king of the universe. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I am rich in him. It's spiritual riches and friends in a very real way. Spiritual riches are always greater than material riches. Do we believe it though? You see, you have the treasure of Christ. Second, Jesus encourages the church with this. Tests and temptations are guaranteed. Tyler, that doesn't sound like an encouragement. Oh, It's an encouragement if you know somebody's trying to prepare you for it. Because then all of a sudden you're not caught off guard. Oh, Jesus, let me know. Jesus warned me, in this world I will have challenges. In this world I will have trials, tests, 
temptations, if you've ever faced them, if you're facing them right now, or if you're going to face them, welcome to this thing called humanity. We live in a broken world. Here's the good news, the story doesn't end there. We get to the end of the book and what happens? Jesus comes back and sets all things right. And one day there will be a reality where there's no more tests, there's no more trials, there's no more temptations. Jesus will set all things right. Tests, trials, temptation, friend, they're, they're reality. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. But here's some good news. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminded a group of Jesus followers in a city in Greece called Corinth. He said this about temptation. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. In other words, if you've ever faced a trial, if you've ever faced a challenge, you ever faced a temptation, here's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing the human condition. You're not alone. You're not alone. No temptation has come upon you except what's common to mankind. And God is what? Oh, God is faithful. God is faithful. Life Center, can we say those three words together? God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide what? the way out so that you may be able to bear it, endure it, be faithful in the midst of it. And here's what I love. Did you see what Jesus says to Smyrna? He says this, be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. The crown there is not, it's not a ruling crown. It's, it's a victor's crown. It's a crown that's given to somebody who just won an achievement. They, they won the race. They won the, the battle. It's this, it's this place of understanding because of what I've endured and because of the one who carried me through all that I've endured, I'm now crowned. And notice what the crown is. It's the crown of life. It's the crown of life. Tests, trials, temptation. Sure, it's only 10 days. It's, only, it's not going to go on forever. It's a set amount of time. I serve the first and the last. I serve the one who died and yet is alive now. And so what can this trial actually do to me? So that brings us to the final thing that Jesus wants to encourage his church with, and that's, that's this thought. Death will not have the last word. See, this is what keeps our perspective, our focus. This, this world seems so permanent to us. Life seems so permanent, but according to scripture, it's just a vapor. And here's the good news. We serve the one who death couldn't even hold him down. See, for the follower of Jesus, death is not the end of the story. Death will not have the final word. In other words, for the life of a Jesus follower, we are always in a win-win situation. Always. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, death is not the end, friends. And death will not have the final word. 60 years after John 
wrote these letters to the seven churches. There was a man who actually had to experience what it was to be faithful unto death. He was a pastor in this very city, the city of Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. And Polycarp was a disciple of John. In the year AD 155, Polycarp was arrested, quickly tried and martyred because he refused to call Caesar Lord. He refused. He said that that title belongs to one person and one person alone. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And I will not worship Caesar as Lord. 86 years old, actually beyond 86 years, people come alongside of him and they're, they're pleading with him, Polycarp, just go along. Do what they're asking you to do. What harm will there be in just saying Lord Caesar and burning some incense and just, just offer it up. Do what they're asking you to do and save yourself. And here's what Polycarp replied. Even as the proconsul of Smyrna looked at him and told him to curse Christ, Polycarp said these words, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Before he was burned alive, the people were celebrating in the city that day and his words were recorded as he prayed this prayer out loud. He said, I bless thee because thou hast deemed me worthy of this day and hour to take my part in the number of the martyrs. For this and for everything, I praise thee, I bless thee, I glorify thee. Perspective. Perspective. What on earth would give Polycarp the ability facing certain death and destruction, the ability to do that. The same God who saved him was faithful to journey with him in that moment and would be faithful to welcome him on the other side of death. See friends, there's more to this thing than just the here and now. Jesus wants to give us all that crown of life, but we must be willing to endure. Man, I'm, I'm praying for peace over each of our lives. I pray God's provision over our lives. But, but how do we continue to press forward even in the midst of the challenge? I think the solution is actually found in the first few words of Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with all its turmoil, we come back again and again and again and we recognize God is our refuge and our strength. He's present with us. He's faithful. Today, can I invite you to bow your heads with me across this room? I want to take a moment to pray over two things. I want to pray for those of us first who maybe we have yet to put our trust 
in Jesus. Maybe you've been walking through some challenging seasons. Maybe you're here exploring faith and trying to understand who this God actually is. Today, as I talked about the fact that our God is faithful, even in the midst of the challenge, you realize, well, Tyler, I, I need relationship with that God because I don't have anything to help me endure. See, the good news is Jesus has already done for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived the life all of us were called to live, but we didn't. He died the death we all deserve to die. And then he rose again, defeating death and sin. And today, by putting your trust in him, you can know what it is to be forgiven, to have a fresh start with God. If that's your desire today, can I invite you to do something? Would you just raise a hand and say, Tyler, that's me. I, I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want a fresh start with God today. If that's you, just hold that hand up for a moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can put those hands down. Second, I want to pray for those of us who would say, God, help me stay strong. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial, a challenge. Maybe there's things just going on in life and Maybe recently you found yourself at moments, you still love God, but you're wondering, God, why are you not living up to your end of the agreement? <laughs> but today, you, you just have that sense, God, help me, help me stay strong. If that's you, would you just raise a hand, just hold it up for a moment, say, yeah, that's me, that's me, yeah. yeah. Father, I thank you today that you want your church to be prepped. Jesus, I thank you that you gave us both instruction, you revealed who you were, but also you put on our radar that this world is broken. And yet someday you're coming again. You're gonna set all things right. But as we live in that in-between space, may we continue to be faithful to you. Lord, our only hope to be faithful to you is the fact that you are constantly and consistently faithful to us. So Lord, I pray for friends who raise hands today saying, God, would you help me to stay strong? Help me to remain faithful. God, would you continue to equip us to be, the, to be the people that you've called and created us to be? As well, Lord, I pray for those who raised hands saying that they want a fresh start today. They're making that decision to put their trust in what you've already done for them, Jesus. Today, Life Center, can we pray this prayer out loud together with those who are making this decision? Would you say these words, say, Jesus, Thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision? I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet today. And as you stand to your feet, some of our pastors and prayer team will be down front. We'd love to be able to pray with you today if there's something going on in your life as well. Maybe you're new to Life Center over the last couple of months or couple of weeks. God continues to bring new friends and people into Life Center. But we want to make sure you get connected. We want to connect you in community. I'd love for you to grab one of those connect cards. Swing by our connect center on the way out. We have a gift for you just to say thanks for joining with us. Don't forget next week, vision night. You don't want to miss it. And again, we're sending you out on assignment this week. Remember, we don't just go to church. We are the church. So let's go. Let's be the church. God bless. We'll see you soon.